What do you get when you mix a health coach and a wellness coach mixed with a lot of curiosity? You get two people who ask a lot of questions about health and wellness issues. Today, we ask the question, what is generational trauma and what can we do about it? We will begin with a recap and musings about our call to actions for the week. Then we will tell you about what we are loving this week. We will end with a new call to action for the week, and we invite you to do the same. So let's get started as we ask, wait, what? Hi, Leah. Hi, Kamna. How are you? I'm good. I'm tired. I'm not going to lie to you. I mean, I, I shouldn't be. It's only 2.30 in the afternoon when we're recording today, but I'm tired. So It's been across the board for everybody we've talked to, almost. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's been a rough week. It really has. And I, I don't, I guess I was for at a moment in this week, just being so selfish and looking at myself. But then when you pointed it out to me, you're like, no, but this person has, and this person. And yeah, it was like a cosmic shift or something that everybody that we talked to was had a rough couple of days. Yeah. It was a rough week. And I, I know we need those rough weeks to really appreciate the other side of it, but mm-hmm. it's hard when you're going through it for sure. Yeah. I will say though, on a very selfish note, when you pointed it out, I was like, Oh, I kind of felt like, Oh, thank God. It's not just me. Is that terrible that I felt that no. way? No, I think what's the expression misery loves company. When we yeah. feel like we're not alone, it just gives us more strength. I, I just was like, Oh, I'm kind of so relieved that I wasn't the only one that like yeah. Had that mo- this week. Do you know what I mean? Yes, absolutely. So, but anyway, what, oh, well, let me, let me go into my week here while I'm, yes, while I'm talking right yes. now about me being so selfish. Um, my call to action was to get lentils and I didn't, I, and I honestly don't know why I don't, I don't think I even thought of them one time this week. It just didn't I, even come into my head. So, okay. I, <laughs> I mean, I've even put it on my list and I don't think I looked at, I might've like zoomed right over it. I don't know what happened. I I, I can't even make up a lie. It's okay though. I didn't do mine. But you know, I'm not going to chide you for it because I think we all have these. I mean, when you hear about my report, you'll be like, oh, okay. (laughs) But I want to say something to you about this, the selfish word. Oh, you don't like it? Um, it's not that I don't like it. I think sometimes people are selfish. I would not label you as selfish ever. Not even well, that's because you're my friend. No, I'm very honest. I would tell you if you were. I think <laughs> if when would. when you feel when a person feels bad about mm-hmm. whatever's happening in their world, in their life, it is important to take a minute and really think about yourself and how it's affecting you and how to recoup and how to re strategize. I don't think that's selfish. I think that's important. Okay. I will, I will um, take that and run with it. We need to do that. We need to be introspective sometimes. Then maybe we need a word for that. Okay. What's and maybe the word? there is, I don't know. Maybe there is a word that I don't know, but that moment when you feel like, is it pity? No. Do I want, no, do no, I want, no. no. Okay. Then I don't know. You want, uh, what's the word when you, when you have, like what you said, when you have other people who are kind of also in a bad way and yeah. you get support, not from them being in a bad way, but you get support for, I'm not the only one suffering and struggling. Yeah. And, and I get strength from seeing other people working through their issues. Right. 
I think that's what it is. There's got to be a word for it. There has to be. Our smart listeners will tell us. Somebody tell us what the word is that we're looking for. So, so what about you though? Yeah. Yeah. It was a, it was mostly a fail. (laughs) (laughs) What was your call to action? My call to action was to hug my husband every morning, every night. I'm so sorry that I almost spit when I remembered it. (laughs) And to increase my oxytocin. So that was my call to action. And uh, the first few days I was like, I got to hug you. Where's my hug? Did you say that? Well, kind of. Did you tell him what you were going to do? I told him in the morning because when I was researching this, I'm like, oh, maybe this is why we're both wanting to eat all the time. We just need to hug each other. So he's like, that's a great idea. And he was all on board. Good for him for being on board. Yeah, because we're both trying to figure this out. You know, it's such a terrible work in progress kind of feeling. Right. Like once you think you figured it out and then there's a new issue. Yeah. So um, we did it the first few days and then we went out of town for a a sudden thing we needed to do. Uh, I was with my daughter, so I did pet her dog a lot. So that helped. It does. I was petting my dog like a lot more this week. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. And I'm just because of the podcast, too. He's loving it. But it was because you said all you know about that. And then uh, I came home and I got busy with my regular life and I forgot. And then he reminded me, he's like, oh, I'm supposed to hug you. Come on. Where's my hug? Oh my God, that's cute. It was, really, it was sweet. Um, yeah. But I was like, I have things to do. I have to go. To <laughs> You're like, please don't hug me right now. No, I couldn't. It was sweet, though. You know, it was very thoughtful. Yeah. But um, I think I just needed to do it really seriously to have it really have a scientific result, which I don't. Mm-hmm. Okay. I don't. So you started off good, but you don't have enough data. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. That's fair. Yeah. yeah. That's a good idea. I'm going to pay attention to that too. We used to do a group hug in the morning before we left. Oh my God. And it would so be either sweet. one of the kids would say group hug time. And then we'd all like group hug. And I'm trying to think if those days were better than the other ones. So I should pay attention to that. I wonder if you can implement that and your kids would be like, oh, yeah, let's do it. Or if they would roll their eyes at you. No, they would. I, we, we, I think we did it once this week. Randomly, if we're all around the same time in the kitchen in the morning before one of us leaves, someone will say it. But we're not all there at this. You know what oh, I mean? Oh, yeah. Life has gotten too so busy. It just has to. It just has a lot to do with like where everybody is, because if someone's in mm-hmm. the bathroom, we're not waiting I mean, that sounds terrible, right. but you can't, you know, when everybody's trying to get ready yeah. for work or whatever, but hmm. yep. interesting though. I should try that too. Yeah. Uh, but your dog's loving it. So it, even in the oh, intro, he's that's loving great. It. Yeah. So, but yeah. So overall though, I think you were very successful on your call to action. Mm-hmm. Well, probably 50% because the yeah. dog counts. I count the dog. Listen, 50% is more than mine. I got 0%. So, yeah, but it's because it's not really um, a staple for you and no. it's not something you buy regularly. It would have to kind of go out of your way. You need to figure out which one to buy. Well, here's my other question. I don't even know. Does all these carry, do, do they have lentils? Because that's typically sure where I do, shop. But I don't buy lentils from there, but I'm, I'm sure they do. Well, where do you buy them from? I buy them from the Indian grocery store. Oh, okay. Is there a difference? No. Oh, okay. 
just size of the bag and cost and okay I just did maybe I, I, you know what I'll just bring you a baggie whenever I meet you next time and you but no it has it. to have instructions on it okay yeah it can't just be like I wouldn't know what to do with it okay yeah that's fair I'll get them I just have to figure it out anyway you want to jump into this week no I have to oh. tell you what I'm loving. Oh my gosh, I forgot about this. Okay, yes. What are you loving? Um, so I was really trying to think about some of the things that I use that are become essential for me. And this week, uh, I realized one of the things, especially as the days are getting longer and it, the morning is starting earlier and the, with the snow, it just seems really bright outside. Yeah. So I have become really reliant on my uh, eye mask for sleeping. I think it's oh. called a sleep mask. It helps me to fall asleep. It helps me to stay asleep because I am really sensitive to light and noise. Wait, does it stay on your face all night? Because I, you got me one and it falls off. I mean, it stays on and then I wake up with it off. Same as my hat when I wear my hat a bit to bed. Well, it's my head is very big. So um, I've had to loosen it and it does slide off a little bit, but by the morning, I think it's okay because I have to get up anyway. Oh, okay. Okay. So it helps you fall asleep. It helps me like kind of fall asleep because I'm so sensitive to the light and I'm sensitive to just, you know, oh, is it time to get up or is it, and it's only like two in the morning. So Ooh. if it feels bright outside my body, because it's a, a what do you call that circadian oh, wait, rhythm? Wait. So if you get up to go to the bathroom at like two, you put it on. No, no, no. It's already on oh. my face. I just lift it. I don't turn any lights on. That doctor we interviewed about the sleep, she said, don't turn any lights on and just try to keep it as quiet as possible. So that's what I, I do. I think of her every time I get up in the middle to go to the bathroom, I don't turn on a bright light. Yeah. Yep. I try very hard to not because I, I think it does make a difference. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a street light right in front of our house. So that sleep mask helps. And our this is so silly, but our curtain rod fell and we have a very high window in our bedroom. So we don't have a, we have just have blinds and I don't have the capability. So it's bright in our bedroom. Oh, well, I like this. You love your sleep mask. I do. I think it's really helped me to stay asleep. Okay. That's a good idea. Yeah. And they're pretty inexpensive on Amazon mm -hmm. and you can get whichever kind you like. And mm -hmm. uh, I have a satiny one and it's, I bought one for my travel bag and I bought one for home. That's a great idea to keep mm -hmm. one in a suitcase because when you travel, you have no idea what the rooms are going to be yes. like or where you're staying. Yes. Now that's a really good idea. Yeah. So hmm. that's what I'm loving this week. Okay. Gosh, what a great idea to keep one in your suitcase. Why didn't I ever think of that? I don't know. It's like sometimes these simple things, you're like, oh, I should have thought of that. But until you, someone tells you or you get the idea, you won't know. Because I was just thinking like sometimes when we travel and we're all in the same room or whatever, it's like someone has the TV on and mm -hmm. you're like annoyed by it or they get mm -hmm. up to go to the bathroom and it's the light goes on. Like that's a great, great, great tip there. And especially if you're traveling with your kids, you're and you're all in the same room, they might be on their phones mm -hmm. or watching a movie or something. And then if you really want to go to sleep, you can just put your eye mask, sleep mask on. Great idea. I love so, it. Now we can get into our topic. All right. This was a this is a deep topic. It is a very deep topic. And I didn't even know what the meaning was of it until I Googled it more. Mm -hmm. 
And what definition did you find? Well, so we're talking about generational trauma. Um, the definition actually gave me two words that I didn't know what they meant. So then I broke it down even more. So this was the definition. Intergenerational trauma has behavioral and epigenic influence that can lead to increased obesity. Oh, okay. Okay. We need a, you, we need a break. Look this at down. your face. You were like, whoa. Okay. So my first step was broke down intergenerational. Mm-hmm. I kind of know what it meant, but I wanted to like d- dumb sure. it down. So it's re- intergenerational means re- relating to several generations. Right. So okay. we're not just talking about me and my mom and dad. We're mm-hmm. talking about my mom, like s- several of us. Okay. So then I did epigenetic. Epige- how, mm-hmm. how do you pronounce that? Epigenetics. Epigenetics. Mm-hmm. Okay. Any process that alters the gene activity. Mm-hmm. Am I right? Mm-hmm. That's okay. also the stu- the definition I found. Study of how your behaviors and environment can cause changes that affect the way your genes work. Yep. So it's deep automatically right there. I was like, okay, this is going to get deep and scientific. And my brain is not, doesn't work that way. Well, I think to really simplify where we're going with this. Yes. I think we need to put a little outline ahead of us. Okay. Is we, obviously we blame our, we're like, it's in our genes. It's in our blood. Why we're either obese or why we have the plant, the the habits that we have or why we eat the way we eat. We always blame our genes, but literally that's very true. Mm-hmm. And what happens if we take specifically our dieting issue is we are influenced not only by the patterns we grow up with, but also the biology and the incidents that happen when we're in utero. Mm-hmm. So it's so interesting once you start it, thinking about it. Also the things that have happened when our parents were in utero as well. Yes. It's still yes. in us. So it's yeah. not even like, like I kept going back to this topic and going, I don't feel like anything has happened to me that would cause mm-hmm. any kind of generational trauma. Right. But it's so much deeper than that. You okay. know what I mean? Yeah. It's it might, I might not have had anything happen to me, but maybe my mom or dad did. Mm-hmm. And that's now what I'm dealing with as well. Right. On a sort of a high level, it's um, the things that I was reading was people who grew up in the Great Depression or even something as severe as a Holocaust mm-hmm. or any other of these incidents, um, they pass that traumatic rewriting of gene code onto their children. Mm-hmm. So even generations after people are going to feel the effects of say living through the great depression and having food scarcity. And it's, it's care passed on through your genes, which I think Mm -hmm. is why this is important for us to really talk about this. Mm -hmm. It's not, I think a lot of times people look at obese people and they think, Oh, they just need to stop eating. And that's not what it's about. Right. There's so much more. There's, there's like, gene activity in our body that has been altered from right. other things, from something that may have happened two decades ago, two genes, two, what would that be? Two, two generations ago. Generations. Thank you. Two generations ago. Coming right. down now. I totally agree. Um, yeah. I wanted to share this when I was researching this, I found this report of the study on the CDC website. Okay. Uh, it's just so interesting. Um, 
studies in the 1940s uh, of the Dutch famine, so where there was food scarcity, children who were um, in utero during the famine and were born during the famine had much higher rates of obesity versus their siblings who were not born during that time. So if they were in their mother's womb, while the food scarcity, while the famine was going on, their genetic code was rewritten. And I don't know the science of it. It's very deep and complicated mm -hmm. for me, but their genetic code was rewritten. So they're predisposed to obesity and heart disease and diabetes and all of these things that before they're even born, they're already in, kind of in trouble. So I was like, that's fascinating to me. Okay, can I can I stop you right now for a second and go, I know you don't like the word selfish, but can I talk about me for a second? Of course, we love <laughs> okay, to hear so, about you. No, and that while you were just saying all that, and I was thinking about in utero, and and my, let me just use my two kids, for example, and I'm, I've been sure. open, they're open about it. They both see therapists for anxiety and, and um, not depression, but more like, um, yeah, I guess you would say anxiety, depression, all of those things. And I was thinking about it and saying like, it was like maybe me passing it down or my husband passing it down, but now I'm thinking about it. And while I was pregnant with my son, mm -hmm. my husband was going through chemo and cancer treatments. Oh so my I'm sure I was extremely anxious and depressed and heightened with that while he was, you know what I mean? Wow. I have goosebumps so wait, right now. So oh wait, now gosh. let me tell you that when I was pregnant with my daughter, my dad was dying and he actually did die while I was pregnant. So again, I'm sure I was anxious and depressed and of sad course. and all of those things during both of those times when both of my children were in utero. Yeah. No, I'm not saying that that's why they see therapists, but right. it very well could be why their genetic code was rewritten in that. I mean, I did everything right. I didn't drink. I didn't smoke. I didn't, I ate healthy as, you know, mm -hmm. I did everything else right. But maybe there was just something that, I mean, that's beyond my control. I couldn't control either of those Absolutely. issues. But maybe on a, on a genial, I can't say the word, but on yeah. that level, <laughs> yeah, that's what maybe caused some of that. That, that, but, I those, mean, right. That gives me goosebumps because the impact of conditions that were beyond your control impacted possibly how your children came out. Right. And that's something that really is beyond what they're in control of. Mm -hmm. It's not in their scope to handle this because their genetic code may have been rewritten that way. Right. right. That's why so I think they always emphasize that, you know, a mom should be, a mom to be should be uh, calm and stress-free and eating good foods and not watch really violent shows. It's because it impacts the fetus in so many different ways. Wow. It, it's almost like if your parents are alive right now, we should be asking our mom, Hey, what did you go through while you were mm -hmm. pregnant with me? Yes. yes. You know, and yes. that could be why some of my behaviors are in place or maybe some of Absolutely. my things Absolutely. that I have. I, I hate the word issues because I don't think they're issues. I think they're just part of who we are. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. I totally agree. Um, but there's a reason for it. Yeah. I, I find this 
some of this deep diving I find very interesting because you start putting the pieces together of your own life of why right. am I this way? Right. Um, and I, if I think about for me is my mom's grandmother, my maternal grandmother, she, for whatever, I didn't know her very well because she was over there in India and I was over here, but whenever we would go out, there was always a lot of tension in the house for whatever reason. I mean, I was a kid. I didn't really understand. Mm -hmm. But the most fun I remember having with her was in the car eating food. We would take snacks with us and we would stop and get snacks on the road. And that was like a fun time. So that food in the car became associated with we're having fun and there's no drama right now. And it's just mm -hmm. a good time. And I know it's sort of simplifying this topic, but if I think about how my mom is, she was always like, what's to eat in the car? And for many years, I was like, we need snacks in the car. I, so I'm you, the same way. Yeah. You carry these habits, patterns, training, whatever you want to call it, through two mm -hmm. next generations. And I think I've stopped it a little bit, but my kids are like, I'm not hungry. Can you please stop asking me about snacks? <laughs> Good for them. But the reality is, and if you're being honest with yourself, you want the snacks. I want the snacks because I think there's a memory associated with yes. it. And it's that we just had fun in the car and there was no fighting and there was mm -hmm. no, no stuff, you know, mm -hmm. like we we're all just having a good time. What a sweet memory though. It really is. Yeah. Yeah. It is. I just have that memory with my grandmother that she, we just had the best time in that car. Oh, the best time. But I think some of these things, are passed down and there may mm -hmm. have been a reason why she was the way she was we just mm -hmm. don't know I can't talk to her because she's passed on but it's mm -hmm. interesting very so I was also reading the physiological effects of intergenerational trauma this is a mouthful it's a very hard topic to talk about, like the getting the word literally or yeah yes yeah so some of the symptoms could be chronic pain illness heart disease, diabetes, and other mm -hmm. like health-related issues. Mm -hmm. Which we always hear that, like, you know, you're, I, I'm predisposed to high cholesterol because of this and that, like, those are the things we've, we, we hear that a lot. And it's one of those that we don't think about though, the other parts, the other things like the obesity yeah. or like the anxiety yeah. or like that kind of thing. You, you know, know I, uh, I was having this discussion with someone recently about if your genetics are such, why does it matter what you eat? Because if you're going to get diabetes, what do, what's the difference? Oh my God, who? No, don't tell me who, but I've, I've had the same conversation with people. So what I was saying was genetically, you're hardwired to possibly have situations like diabetes or heart disease or high blood pressure, any of those medical conditions. How you live your life now and how you eat, how you nourish your body impacts mm -hmm. what happens next, whether you turn those switches on or not. That's why mm -hmm. as a health coach, I'm promoting good, clean eating because maybe you don't have to get diabetes. Maybe you don't have to have high blood pressure. Maybe you can keep that switch off. Mm -hmm. So the genetics, it matters, but it also matters what you're doing now. Yeah, cause you're, so I don't know if I've ever told you this quote, because it's a hot button quote. And I've had people tell me they don't like it. I oh. like it, but okay, so I'm just going to say it. 
And okay. if somebody doesn't like it, write in and tell us that you can't stand it. And um, we'll maybe edit it someday. Um, <laughs> it's, I'm going to get it wrong. Your genetics load the gun, but what you eat pulls the trigger. Yes. That's exactly what I'm saying. Right. Exactly. Like, yes. You, you really, yeah, this is how you, you're genetically made up, but you can do the work to correct it. Same with anxiety and depression. Like genetically it's something there, but once you do talk to somebody and you do really work on it, right. You can get the help you need to do it. And I feel like that's a lot of it is like getting to the root cause of a lot of these things. Absolutely. That's why it's really important to even think about this and to even really understand why this could be a factor for you. Mm-hmm. And ask the deep questions, which you're really good at and our call to actions. You really will ask the questions that people go, I don't know. Why do I do that? <laughs> Maybe that did happen to me. And it's really thought provoking. And until you can face it head on, it's like you can't even fix it. Yes, that's exactly right. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Um, this is another sort of definition I found. Uh, okay. Our experiences alter our DNA that we pass on to the next generation and generations after that. Someone in your family, I cannot read my own handwriting. Why is that? <laughs> Someone in because your family. You, while you're <laughs> deciphering that, I would like to tell everybody that you told me that you researched this topic and then you had to take a break. Oh yeah, I did. Cause it was too deep. So maybe this was oh. your moment. You took a, a okay, break. Let me, let me answer that. And then I'm okay. But after I read this, Someone okay. in your family line lived through not having enough food and your body will carry that trauma. When you're talking specifically about food scarcity, it's a thing that your body will carry through. So what so I will exp- wait, so wait. So even if you're saying if I didn't feel experience food scarcity, and maybe my mom didn't even experience that, maybe her grandmother did, and that is now still being passed on through yes. me. Um, And one of the reasons why I'm going to find the exact explanation because it's like, whoa. Um, Okay. From psychology today, it says all the eggs and a woman will carry will form in her ovaries while she is a a fetus in her mother's womb. This means that a part of you, your mother and your grandmother all share the same biological environment. In a sense, you were exposed to the emotions and experiences of your grandmother even before you were conceived. Oh my God. You just, now I got the goosebumps. So what you were saying about, you know, it's, it's there even before basically you're born. Mm -hmm. So I'll explain why I had to take a break and what happened. All right. So I was researching this. I not to be really frank, I was dreading researching this. Because I'm like, this is such a heavy topic. I don't know if I'm, I can talk about this. It's, and I I feel other people's pain, even through written material. Okay. And then I did a little bit of research. And then I was like, I really need a break because I can't focus. And I don't know which direction I'm going. Okay. So then I came back to it. And I was like, well, I think it's better than I thought it was going to be. Because I just needed that break to really think about which direction, what I'm going to talk about. You know what I mean? Yeah. So you stopped because you didn't know you were, you were kind of like, where do I even go with this? I felt a little bit like I was drowning. Okay. That's, that's good. I felt when I was researching this, and this was before I just had the revelation about when I was pregnant with my kids, Mm -hmm. even before that, I was like, God, I 
screwed up my kids already. Oh gosh. I know. And that was like exactly the last thing I wrote on my paper was I've already screwed up my kids when it comes to obesity or eating disorders or food problems. And I was like, oh, that, so it was made me very sad. Well, you briefly told me about this, but I didn't want to ask too much because I like to, yeah. for us to have an organic conversation. But what specifically about this? So I found a, going with the generational trauma and, and this whole this whole topic and uh, eating disorders, uh, mother's eating habits and children's attitudes towards food begins as young as toddlers. Mm. And they said, the first question you should ask yourself is when is the first time in your life you remember counting points, counting calories, maybe somebody taking a diet pill or something along those lines, because that right there is that beginning of not saying anybody I know has an eating disorder, but it can lead down that road sure. based on those. And I thought this was very sad. One in five children. One in five. Any, one in five show signs or have a full-fledged eating disorder. Oh my gosh. And it made me really sad because you guys, um, my I started working for Weight Watchers when my son was three. So ask him what time his first memory of counting points or mm-hmm. anything like that is. And he's going to tell you his whole life. Oh, wow. And I've never been like, oh, that's this many points or that's this. But I've, but it's always been part of his life and my daughter's life. Right. It was just part of the regular conversation. It was just part of our life. Like, just like I, I, I my whole life was all, you know, what my dad did for a living. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yep. So I've thoroughly messed up my children. Oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> I don't believe that. Yes, I know. We... But, well, I mean, what I'm saying is I'm actually glad that I had this revelation now. Because now I can really pick up on the signs and switch my conversations. Like there need, there doesn't need to be any conversations about that. And it's like yeah. now I have to be aware of how I say things a little bit more carefully. You know, uh, when I think I might have shared this story already, and I'm sorry if it's a repeat, but I think the point is really good. So I'm going to say it again anyway. Okay. Um, when my kids were really little, especially my daughter, I used to chase her around with food to feed her. And I was at a play date and the lady said, what are you doing? And I said, I'm feeding her because this is what I know. This is what I've learned from my parents and their parents mm-hmm. and all of our community. This is how you feed a child. You just keep chasing them around and feeding them. Mm-hmm. And she's like, you shouldn't be doing that. And I said, well, what should I be doing then? Because I don't know anything different. Right. And she gave me this book, which sort of changed the way my kids grew up, which was a huge break from what I had known. I have to applaud you for asking, well, what should I do then? And like, well, I really admired her and I looked up to her because her kids seemed, I don't know. I don't know what the word is. Normal is not the word I was looking for, but they looked, they seemed like she just seemed so zen about everything. And I was like, I really want to be that zen, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but the, the trick was, is to create an environment at the dinner table that's really not about the food. And that is like, how was your day? And what have you done? And if they don't want to eat, they can, they get it to taste two times and then they move on. Mm-hmm. And there's a whole like psychology to this. But I think in my house and the houses that I've known in our families, we spend a lot of time talking about food. Yep. And it permeates 
everything that we do. What are we shopping and what are we making and what are we making for the weekend and what are we making for this party and what are we like? We're always talking about food. Mm-hmm. So it to have that little bit of a break, I think it really impacted my children positively, which is where I was going with this. Is mm-hmm. yeah, I probably messed them up in so many different ways, but I think in this aspect, I did okay. Good. <laughs> you know, well, we I, all do our best. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't even, I'm not saying that it's, it's like horrible or any of that. It's just, it's just made me really realize that it, I mean, I'm, I'm not, it's probably happened to me and I'm mm-hmm. now doing the same thing. And it's one of those things that you just have to be like, it's okay to break this pattern. Well, until you know, what do you do right. differently? Well, I want to say I was one for Ever, I was like that mom that was like, I'm making one dinner. And if you eat it, you eat it. If you don't, you don't. And mm-hmm. I changed my parenting style on that. Really? Completely. Yeah. After listening to Corinne Crabtree, one of her episodes was all about like, why are we trying to force out upon everybody the same food for this at the same night? Mm-hmm. Isn't there a night when you don't want to eat something? And why are we forcing it? Like, and now we're just, my daughter will be like, I just really want an apple with peanut butter tonight. And I'm like, yeah, that's great. Yeah. So I feel like I really have tried to fix that part of it where mm-hmm. it's like, no, you're eating this. Well, what? I don't even like that. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's one thing to try it, but instead of being like, right. well, then you're not getting anything else. What? Why? Yeah. You definitely have to try it. Yeah. But I feel like that's one of those things that, um, is a generational thing. Like I can remember sitting at the table and my mom saying, you got to sit here until we eat and I'm only making one dinner. And mm-hmm. guess what? Like, I don't think you should be doing that. Yeah. I was reading about that, about, you know, we always hear you have to clean your plate. You can't get mm-hmm. up until you finish your food. Yeah. And that's one of those learned behaviors. Yes. Some of it's genetic, some of it's learned. So which piece of it can we fix is our environment now. Interesting, because I wonder if a lot of it is more genetics in my family. Because maybe it goes back to that food scarcity. Oh. And that's why, like, let me just back up. Like, maybe, and I don't know. I'm going to have to do some research on my end. Like, maybe the reason I had to sit at the table and eat whatever, clean my plate, or eat so many bites before I got up had to do with that food scarcity pattern being passed on to either my mom or my dad passed on to their grandparents. And they were sure. like the same thing when yeah. guess what? There was no food scarcity when I was little and there's no food scarcity for my kids. Right. But it was that thing that we broke finally in my family, but it it's there. Yeah. Something I was reading about food scar- scarcity from uh, kin therapy, seattle.com. Um, is that food scarcity is you eat really quickly because our body is physical memories of not having enough, of not knowing where the next meal will come from or having competition with other people over who gets to eat which food and when. Who gets to eat which food and when? Oh, and that is something that's passed down as well. So like who gets the biggest piece and who gets the biggest portion? And Mm -hmm. if you ever gave your kids anything like, no, you gave him or her the biggest piece. Mm -hmm. And I wanted that. And a lot of that is written into our genetic code. Interesting. If you're 
great grandparents had food scarcity, which you wouldn't probably even know now. Right, right. But if they had food scarcity, that genetic code gets written. And even now we're like, no, that's my piece. No, I wanted to eat that. And then you like stuff your face because something has turned that on to say, oh, you're not going to have enough. You better eat it all quickly. It's so, so, so I guess my question is like, let's say we were like this. Let's say mm-hmm. we know it. Do we do the research and figure out if that is what our great ancestors felt and then deal with it like that? Or how well, do we work through it? That's you know a I mean? really good question. Um, I was like, well, okay, if it's genetic and we're going to be struggling with this, how do we get over this? So right. that was where I went next is that how do we get over generational trauma? And the first piece of this is something you already said is you have to talk about it. Mm-hmm. You have to talk, talk about what happened. You have to hear the stories of, you know, when I was growing up, this is what happened to me and this is what I went through. And, and once you start understanding where this is getting triggered from mm-hmm. and it's out in the open and you've talked about it, you can really start understanding it. I think talking about it sounds like it's the, the literally the number one way to get No, I don't, I don't know if the word is fixed, but help. it's not fixed, but I think, right. You know, a lot of trauma gets hidden and whatever that means. And I'm not a doctor or a psychologist or psycho psycho. Yeah. We can't say words whatever today. <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, I'm not anything like that, but if the more you talk about things, the less shame is attached Mm-hmm. the less fear, the less guilt. And it's easier to sort of put it where it belongs, which is in the past. Mm-hmm. The second thing is um, to work through trauma. So messages don't get carried for forward. And that could be with a therapist, that could be with good friends, it could be with anybody that you've talked this through. Now, like to really sort of expunge it from your system so to speak. Mm -hmm. So you can break the trauma passing forward to the next generation. I also find that like what you're along the same lines you're saying is there's so much power in just acknowledging it. Yeah, I agree. And I I don't, I don't even know if, I mean, maybe if you don't want to talk about it to anybody, a friend or whatever, sometimes just journaling about it or acknowledging, wow, I can't, I finally see that this is what has happened is really eye-opening and it's really makes you go, okay, I'm normal then. This Absolutely. isn't anything that I made up or I, it's part of who I am. And now it's like, okay, now I know it. Now it's time to do the work on it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Frida, a speech, you think it would be ho- awful and hard, but it's so powerful to say it out loud, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and the third thing is to c- cultivate a sense of empathy and compassion. So if our grandparents or great parent grandparents, or if they're telling us a story or even our parents of something they went through, if we have empathy and compassion for that, it helps us to see the situation mm-hmm. in a different way than rather than with shame and guilt. Say, say the beginning part of that sentence again, empathy and <clears throat> compassion. If we no, you said if we if we can understand somebody's story, like say uh, my grandmother was sitting here okay. and I could really understand what her story was 
and there was, I could rid the shame and guilt that comes along with her story, mm-hmm. then I could be free of carrying that forward to the future generations. Mm-hmm. But I could also I... probably break the pattern in my life currently. Right. And it sounds like you are, or you have, or you're working on it. I'm working on it every day. And I think you are too. A lot of us are that I don't want to do the same thing that my right. my parents and the grandparents did. But I don't know that we knew any better. This is right. what either our, our upbringing or genetics or whatever the mm-hmm. word is. That's the way we were. Mm-hmm. And the final step is to create a new narrative, which is what exactly what we're talking about is if we say we got rid of the shame and the guilt associated with this, and this was an incident that happened. Suppose you lived through a famine, okay? Mm-hmm. And it was traumatic. But if somebody shares the stories, then it releases its power over you and you can start creating a new story. So let's go back to something that we can all relate to. Let a pandemic. Oh yes. Yes. Right? Like yes. we've all been lived through a pandemic. Absolutely. So now are now I don't not having any more kids, but are now are my kids when they have kids, that's like one of those like genetic generational traumas will be passed forward. Correct? Yeah. Yeah, but you know what? Our their generation talks a lot more than we did. Yeah, that's true. And we talked a lot more than our parents did. So mm-hmm. I think they have the benefit of being open about things and hashing this out and not carrying it and storing it in their body. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean that they obviously their genetic code gets rewritten a little bit, but mm-hmm. maybe it won't be as impactful. I think you're right on about the pandemic, though. Mm-hmm. It's a really good example. Yeah. And everybody dealt with it differently. Every family had a different story. Every family was impacted differently. Yeah. And that is something that is, is going to alter genetic codes going forward. Absolutely. It's really interesting and super deep and scientific, the whole genetic code thing. I wish, yeah. and maybe there is, but I wish there was a dumb it down book on how to explain <laughs> it. Yeah. I don't think, I don't know. I keep you reading. Know what I mean? when I Google, I find, keep finding studies and I'm like, I don't even understand the first paragraph. Me too. I was doing the same thing. I was like, I don't get this one. I don't get this one, <laughs> but it's so yeah. good and it's interesting, but I can't talk about it. Cause I, I'm, I don't understand it enough. Absolutely. Absolutely. Super interesting topic though. Yeah. But I think the, the silver lining of this whole thing for me is there is a way to change it mm-hmm. and to release the power that it has over you and alter your genetic code now. The one, the one thing that I wrote down, cause I told you I stopped after I realized that I was screwing up my kids was um, cultivate mindfulness is a great way to get beyond it. Oh, I like, which this. is basically what you were saying, you know, like creating that empathy and compassion. But I, I think that just being mindful of it is also mm-hmm. in your own way. Helpful. Yeah. Wow. This turned out much better than I thought. Oh, good. It did. It was, it's deep. And I think that if you're listening, I'm sure there's going to be so many people that have really will be sitting here thinking like, gosh, I wish I could ask my parents this or figure out maybe that's why maybe when my mom was pregnant with me, this happened or, Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? And we didn't even touch on the topic of uh, dieting trauma. Yeah, a little bit. I'm sure my kids and my first memory of dieting and, you know, Mm -hmm. but yeah, we really didn't. 
that's a whole other topic, I think. Probably. Yeah. Yeah. We'll have to save that for another day. Definitely will. (laughs) All right. So are you going to have a call to action this week? Um, I do. Thanks to you helping me figure it out. Okay. Um, I was, you know, I think for me, why sometimes I struggle with figuring out a call to action is there's so many things that I'm still working on that I don't feel like I've really done them. And I don't want it to be like a one-off that I did it for one week and it was good. And then I didn't do it. So I struggle sometimes with feeling like a failure, but I'm not, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So oh, yeah, this week, my call to action is to, um, I have four books on my nightstand and I really want to read them. Um, one is for pleasure. One is for informational, you know, so I'm going to spend 15 minutes when okay. I get into bed reading and I'm not going to get on social media until I've done my 15 minutes. It's going to be my reward for reading. Okay. Do you know that you inspired me um, a while ago and I haven't talked about it because I didn't know if it was really becoming a habit or not. Oh, but I think it was a lot. I don't even know how many weeks ago you said you weren't going to go on your phone first thing in the morning. Mm-hmm. Right. You said, mm-hmm. I'm not going to go on social media when I'm laying in bed. Cause you mm-hmm. I think you've said before that you sometimes lay there and just sure. go oh, on yeah. your phone and then you have a hard time getting out of bed. Right. Yeah. So that got planted the seed. And then I listened to a podcast about like starting your morning on the right foot and all this. And you, you we were talking about it on one of our call to actions again. And I, for about two weeks now, when I do not on Monday through Friday, I do not look at my phone or any social media or any emails or any of that while I'm in bed. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. In the morning, in the morning, I do not. And it is very hard. And there are many more moments when I'm like rolling over and I'm like, oh, let me check the weather today. And I'm like, no, I think there are many mornings that I will grab it and try and look at something. And I'm like, wait, Mm -hmm. I can do that in a minute. Yeah. Because once you look at one thing on your phone, it sucks. Yeah you in the weather then gets me to go to the news station to see if that's right and then I'm like no 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 yes I totally agree So you inspired that oh good so this time it's reading before you do it though yes I definitely I because I I really enjoy reading but Mm -hmm. this phone problem is I don't know what to what the word is like it's like a well, I think what we're doing is we're cultivating the mindfulness of the phone problem. Yes. So it's not even <laughs> oh, like yes. we're ready to fix it yet. Like we just know that it's there and we know that it's a problem and we have to slowly figure out ways to fix it. Yes. And I think that's what you're doing is like you're now being like aware, okay, I do have this problem. How can I work on it? You know what I mean? Oh my gosh, you're brilliant. I love I, it. I mean, I know I was brilliant, but I like it when people <laughs> say it. <laughs> What is your call to action? Well, I am going to get the lentils. Like that is something that's going to be on there. I don't really know if I, well, I guess it is a call to action. But what I really do want to do is I have an alarm set on my phone at 7 p.m. Every day, 365 Mm -hmm. days a year. That just kind of says like, get ready for bed, go to bed, stop eating like that. What I am going to start doing is using it as a cue to do some stretches. Because I do notice that I sleep way better when I stretch at night mm-hmm. and yeah. I'm really I'm really good at stretching at night in the summer mm-hmm. I'm really good at it but at night in the winter I don't think I want to lay on the floor it's cold 
Mm-hmm. I know that's a stupid reason to not do no. stretches, but I have noticed that like in the summer, I'm like, yeah, I'll lay on the floor and do my stretches. In the winter, I'm like, the floor's stupid did cold. It, but didn't you tell me that there you you can do stretches in your bed? There are wait, yes, there are. Um, and maybe I'll look at some of those. Maybe I'll look at some of those, but like, I feel like I get a deeper stretch on the floor, Hmm. but maybe you're right. Maybe I just haven't tried them enough. It is cold, but you need a cold. cold. My floor is cold. But again, like, I don't know. I think that's what I want to do. Well, I know that's what I want to do because I do sleep better when I stretch my legs, especially. Yes, I agree. So let me write this down so I don't forget. Use my phone as a cue. I think that's a great call to action. Well, you have a great week this week. You too. We'll see you. Bye. Bye. Hey, guys. We got something that we forgot to mention during the episode this week. Do you want to tell? Mm, You can start. I'm going to start by telling you that we have our March retreat. It is coming up in a couple weeks and the date is march, march 3rd at gosh, 1 30 p.m thank you 4 30 p.m the cost is 40 dollars per person and what you get for that 40 dollars is amazing we're gonna have fun we're gonna laugh we're gonna learn and we're gonna have some snacks and goodies and um please message one of us if you want any more details on that and we also are taking signups for our March call to action group and our March weigh-in group. Yes, definitely reach out to healthcoachcomna@gmail.com, and uh, we will get you in whichever way, place works best for you. And don't forget to follow us on social media at Wait What on Facebook and Instagram. I'm www.chickleah, and, and I'm Kamna. Health Coach Kamna. Yep, follow us message us if you have any ideas for podcasts we'd love to hear topics and that's it i think right yes that sounds great thanks